Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Hey, everybody, I'm Mark Shanowski, along with one of the NBA's most popular analysts, Stacey King. We're inviting you to join us on the Gimme the Hot Sauce podcast. So join us every week here in the Hot Sauce studios where we'll be talking about basketball, football, MMA, entertainment, and unique viewpoints from a group of sports experts having a few brews. That's right. Listen up on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Bear down, baby. That's it. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Hall. The hits principle is corny, old-fashioned and all that, but you know what? These guys are buying in. And Dan Weeder. I get criticized all the time for being negative in my coverage of the Chicago Bears, and I tell people, again, it's my 10th season. I have covered one winning season and zero playoff victories. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome back to Take the North Podcast, a podcast for Chicago Bears fans. I'm David Haw, along with Dan Wiederer from the Chicago Tribune, talking all things Chicago Bears, as we will every Tuesday and Friday. And as we did on Sunday <laughs> night, instant reaction to games when they happen. Now, if they have uh, as many big victories as they did in the opener, Dan, we'll be doing a lot of talking this year about being surprised. And we were surprised just in the aftermath, we were out at you were out at Hallis Hall today. That's where you are now. We heard from Matt Eberflus. We heard from Roquan Smith. The tone is that I think the Bears were less surprised than maybe people around Chicago and certainly people around the rest of the league. Yeah, David, I think there's some validation for the work that they've put in over the last four or five months and certainly during training camp to put themselves in position to play with some of the better teams in this league. Now, obviously, they got some assistance from Mother Nature on Sunday and they were able to play a game largely on their terms. And and, and as we talked about yesterday, the defense kept them around long enough to allow them to to keep the game within reach, to allow some of the things that are the intangibles in their in their toolbox to take over, right? And and, and allow them to, to win a game that maybe they shouldn't have. And and I think when you look at that game and and you go back and you rewatch it. The second time you see a, a, a period right in early in the second half, maybe the first 10 minutes of the second half where the 49ers had their chance to strangle the game, to strangle the Bears, to put it out of reach. And they failed to do so. Right. And so what a feisty team does is they take advantage of another team's mistakes and they find ways to capitalize on them. And I think you would agree that the Bears did that very well on Sunday. Absolutely. That was a big part of it. I also like in the aftermath the fact that the fans have enjoyed this and a lot of uh, the players have certainly you know, said the right things. Matt Eberflus has not seemed overwhelmed by the moment or taken – he's not making too much out of this. For a guy who is a football life for 52 years old, the head coach for the first time, I continue to be struck by just how – composed he is he doesn't really get carried away and he wasn't at his Monday press conference at Howells Hall I like the way that he talked about things adjust adapt and overcome that is the approach every series that is the approach at halftime while we make much about what happened in the second half and the adjustments that Luke Getzey made I think that's just football coaching that's just the fact that he's going to want to do that every series and he's and he made the point that they do that throughout each game and he's always done that throughout his career that stood out to me today the other thing was uh i think that we're going to need a little bit more clarification to the 90 percent <laughs> club 
Uh, yeah. The guys who uh, aren't loafers, the guys who exert effort after grades 90% of the time, it's a tough club to belong to. I think uh, Iberflu said three or four Colts were members last year at the end of the season, but you saw that effort on the first day of his uh, tenure as a Bears head coach, and I think that as much as anything reflects just how much the players might be buying in. Yeah, uh, there's no question about it. And I think his uh, point on the 90% club is that that's a season long club, right? It's a it's a, a push to get guys to, to buy into that investment level every single game for the duration of a season, which isn't easy to do. I think uh, one of the things that I, I, I talked about on the radio on WSCR on Monday morning was that, that the Bears don't have many playmaking dynamos right now. And so Matt has convinced them that the star of this team right now is their physical and mental stamina their attention to detail, their ability to sort of lock in on the little things and and make them into big things, right? And we saw several examples of that on Sunday afternoon with the Bears being able to capitalize when they needed to capitalize. And ultimately, they get out of Soldier Field on a rainy day with slip and slide victory slides, right? And a, <laughs> and a 1-0 record that feels really good as you go into rivalry week against the 0-1 Packers. And before we move on the, the, to that point, I think sometimes like with Lovey Smith in the cover two defense, they always said the star uh, is the scheme, you know, because more than any other player and they had Hall of Famers on that defense. I think some until the scheme is more defined here uh, defensively and offensively, the star so far or the main attraction is the effort level, the compete level, the intensity, and the hits principle, if you will. And yesterday, as I wrote and believe, it was a three-hour infomercial for the hits principle. And what better way to introduce Chicago to the Matt Eberflus style than to beat the 49ers 19-10. to 10. You are on the Take the North podcast. Thank you for listening. Let you know how to get this on the Odyssey app. You can get it where you get your podcasts. And we are off and running this season, just like the Bears are. We're undefeated as well. And they're in first place. So continue to join us each and every week. And we're going to move on now to our opening drive. Dan, you're up at House Hall today. You heard from the players, Roquan Smith, Matt Eberflutes. Also, Byron Pringle, who had a lot to say about the Green Bay rivalry. He compared Justin Fields to Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> he had a lot to say. And he's a veteran who has been around for a while. So I think he's also very entertaining. Yeah. So there's a couple things I want to get to, 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 to some of the things that Byron spoke about today that are interesting as we kind of walk forward from that 1-0 start that the Bears got off to yesterday. And, and you mentioned the comparison to Patrick Mahomes. Listen, Byron Pringle played the first four seasons of his career in Kansas City with a quarterback who obviously breathes an infectious energy that elevates the confidence of those around him. You mentioned sort of the composure that Matt Eberflus has in the first segment. And I think with Justin and Matt, together the 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 confidence and the composure comes from the preparation right and, the, and and their belief in their preparation to put themselves in positions to succeed and when you have that it allows you to remain steady through some really really rough patches the bears had a rough patch sunday afternoon the first half offensively was ugly david i don't know how many games you've watched the bears win where their starting quarterback had a 2.8 rating after the first half right maybe the game in arizona in 2006 where rex grossman turned the ball over 67 times and they didn't score an offensive touchdown they still won but this is one of those rare games where you, you don't have it clicking you don't have it flowing offensively and you still find a way to win and part of the reason is is because you have a quarterback that is able to steady the group we didn't see that a lot with Mitch Trubisky we didn't see that a lot with Jay Cutler uh, 
in their ability to, to overcome a bad half and then rescue themselves and the team by extension. So there was some of that. And Byron Pringle comparing fields to Mahomes in that way is notable, right? Is it is it extraordinary? Not sure. We need a bigger body of work to, to detail that. I also asked Byron about the Bears' ability to capitalize on mistakes on Sunday afternoon. And we talked earlier about that 10-minute that stretch early in the second half where the 49ers had the game within their reach. They're up 10 to nothing, or they're up 7 to nothing. They've got the, the ball first and goal at the 5 with a chance to go up 14 nothing against the opposing offense that has done nothing. The Bears hold them to a field goal there. Okay. Take advantage of that. They get the ball back, and then they get some breaks, right? You get a face mask penalty when the 49ers were poised to get off the field on third and long, and yet they gave the Bears 15 free yards. Okay, you've got new life. They throw a near interception with Justin Fields throwing a terrible pass to Equinemia St. Brown and former Bear Tayshawn Gibson dropping it, right? And now you've got new life again. When a team gives you those types of gifts, you have to capitalize and you have to cash in in the biggest way possible. The Bears obviously hit the 51-yard the momentum-changing touchdown pass to Dante Pettis shortly thereafter. And so I asked Byron Pringle today that, that when you have an opponent that is giving you freebies, what is the key for a team in being able to fully capitalize on those breaks? Uh, oh man! Anytime it's a penalty, you post you you want to take full advantage of it anyway. That's just a bonus on what you've been practicing for all throughout the week. Like we work hard, we play hard. So when we go out on Sundays, it's like kind of like our our payday. You know what I'm saying? Like we go out and spend all our money that we done worked hard for throughout the week. So when they give us a penalty, that's just like giving us an extra bonus on our pay. You know what I'm saying? So we when we get in the the goals on across the 50 we want to capture what points come away with points the bears spent their free money david and they spent it well and they scored points and they take advantage of those breaks and they get out of there with with some some really key moments that produce that 1910 win i think it bodes well too because it doesn't appear as if this is going to be one of those seasons where the bears are going to be more penalized than their opponents. It looks like they're going to be clean, as May Eberflus alluded to today. And this is what I'm talking about, too, in sort of the football maturity that you're seeing from this coaching staff. He sort of shrugged and basically said this is just an extension of the preseason. They were clean in the preseason, and they continue that in week one when I think the game's faster, the the stakes are different, and it's a different feel. But he complimented – the officials that they spent training camp around the Bears and the players for paying attention during those sessions, something worked, Dan. I think because, as you point out, yeah, you've got to take advantage, but when you're going to be in a situation where you're, you're going to have your opponent making maybe more mistakes than you, that is unfamiliar territory for Bears and Bears fans to watch. Well, listen, zero offensive penalties, right? They had one thrown on them. It was for an intentional delay of game when they were trying to run the clock down as low as possible. The 49ers declined it, but other than that, there were no false starts. There were no holds. There were no ineligible men downfield on screen passes. There was all sorts of, of clean operation that allows you when you're a team with a thin margin for error to hang around, right? When, when you don't make those mistakes, you hang around in games long enough to take advantage of other, uh, an opponent's mistakes. And that's going to be the DNA of this Bears team all season, just finding ways to hang around into the moments where then you can kind of season upset by, by taking advantage of one big break. I really think it underscored the importance of the preseason and how the Bears treated it. There was a carryover effect from not only just winning those games, but taking them seriously and getting your starters some action. So there wasn't that big step that you saw around the league. There were some upsets for teams that really didn't look at preseason as anything more than glorified practices, and they didn't treat it the way the Bears did. 
Okay, I want to look at the offensive line because Tevin Jenkins graded out pretty well. He rotated with Lucas Patrick at right guard, 36 snaps. I think uh, he, he played over half, but there was a rotation in place. Sam Mustafer actually graded pretty well according to the pro football focus in pass protection. Where's that headed <laughs> moving forward according to the information you have uh, early this week? To be honest with you, I wish I knew because they're going to have some important decisions to make here, right? Obviously, you're not going to stick with a rotation at right guard for a month or longer. They're obviously playing around with some things and trying to evaluate some things to figure out what the best five look like. Sam Mustafer is an interesting piece in this puzzle because if you're talking about uh, a coaching staff that that emphasizes this hits principle and, and looks for certain qualities in all their players, I mean, Sam Mustafer is the poster child for hits. You know, the hustle, the intensity, the, 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 the smart play, right? I mean, this is a guy that gets every ounce of potential out of himself and does so in a way that elevates those around him. And so they're going to have to make a decision there at some point on, on, on how easy it will be to take him off the field or if it won't be easy to take him off the field and then they've got to make a decision between Patrick and Jenkins at guard. It's a good problem to have, but it's certainly one that they're going to have to sort through here in the coming weeks. Relevant or overstated that Justin Fields singled out Sam Mustafer for the job he did post game at the podium. It, it's it's relevant, David, because it's a day where the center could could become a nightmare for your football team. You know, everyone that played in that game yesterday said, "Listen, it was it was inconsistent from play to play how wet the ball was." And and, and talking to Justin, it sounded like it was inconsistent based on how wet the ground was where the ball was placed right on a, on a specific play. And so when you have a center go through an entire game without mishandling a single snap and in elements like that, now all of a sudden you say, okay, that's that's a guy that's taking care of the little things and focused. And again, it's back to that attention to detail. And so is it the biggest thing going on for this Bears team right now? No, but it's notable when you're getting those types of contributions that turn into winning efforts. And before we take a deeper dive at Justin Fields' day, I think it has to go, uh, we have to mention again and reinforce how important it was to get the contributions from rookies. Boy, five of them played prominent roles three on defense, Dominic Robinson, uh, Jaquan Brisker, and Kyler Gordon, the punter Trenton Gill beyond just a towel play. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, when you have somebody in that, in that big of a role on a day like uh, Sunday with the conditions, you can't overlook the, the role of the punter. And then Braxton Jones at left tackle. You know, he did – he, he wasn't exposed. He did have one uh, situation where jo Nick Bosa overwhelmed him. That's going to happen. But I think playing every snap, it could have been much worse. And, Dan, I think you can't underestimate the value for a team in developmental mode to get contributions like that. No no question about it. And, and when you see the confidence level of those guys spike when they get their first NFL action and they have some success, now all of a sudden that hunger that the Bears have been feeding off of for a long time can only grow, right? And, and I thought it was notable. Sunday post game to hear ja Jaquan Brisker, who I thought uh, in live action and then reviewing the, the the video, played a pretty good game. Be very self critical of himself and say I've got to be a lot better. And so when you have a guy that 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 has success early and, and really does not believe that he had success, that's a good thing for your football team because he's going to be driven to get back in there this week and make sure that he makes more plays than he did the previous week. Do you think anybody's telling Dominic Robinson not to be so open or public with what he's <laughs> observing from off opposing offensive tackles, like he? Notice Mike McGlinchey leaning and setting a certain way, getting a jump on him. Do you think they're going to tell the rookie to maybe, you know, tone it down a little bit in what you're sharing? 
Well, as long as he doesn't share it before the game, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> if right. you share it post game and you're talking about the sacks right. you got, that's a good thing. We'll see where it goes. It's it's refreshing to have a younger locker room in our role because now you've got some guys that that, that are a little more candid and, and less worn out by the back and forth uh, with reporters. And so uh, it's, it's fun because you, you you do turn up nuggets like that here and there, and those are going to be easy for us to uh, to to glom onto as we go forward. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. All right, let's take a deeper dive into QB1. All right, Dan, so let's go into our categories. Let's start with the defining moment for Justin Fields on a day where he came through the second half, and I think it's pretty obvious which one we're both leaning toward. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question that it's the 51-yard touchdown pass to Dante Pettis. I mean, you go through Justin's stat line here, 8 for 17, 121 yards, sacked twice. Uh, one interception, a rating of 85.7. These are not numbers of a winning quarterback most weeks in the NFL. The conditions obviously played a role in that. But when you also have that long, it's a 51 and it's bolded because it was a touchdown. And it's the play that on a broken play changed the momentum of the entire game because you were able to make a play outside the pocket and outside the script and then find a receiver wide open and make that throw across the field. That was the play that that changed everything Sunday. And Justin acknowledged that Sunday. Uh, uh, Pettis acknowledged it Sunday. Equinemius St. Brown acknowledged it Sunday. And so away they go with a moment like that. It's a gimme. And I do want to just elaborate on that one, one little thing. And I, at the risk of getting carried away on the biggest and the most uh, overreactive day of the NFL season, the Monday after week one, I'll, I'll join in the chorus. Look, we had a call it to the Mullen Haw show. Somebody compared what the bears did to the Ravens in that Justin Fields wasn't great in the way that Lamar Jackson early in his career wasn't great, but had that one special play that he made happen due to his athleticism, due to his ability to improvise and escape. And I think that 51-yard play, the defining moment, if you will, was created by his ability to improvise and escape. No other way around it. And I don't want to call him the future MVP, but I do think that you saw a glimpse. On a day where everything else probably didn't go well in the first half, it was awful. Justin Fields turned around everybody's day and mood and fortunes with that one play with five and a half minutes left to go in the third quarter or whatever. And suddenly it was a different day. Suddenly it was a different game. And again, that comes after the gifts that the 49ers gave with that face mask penalty and the dropped interception by Tayshawn Gibson. A quarterback with a killer's mentality finds a way to make that play in that moment. And he did. And, he, and obviously, the, the throw itself was easy. You know, you or I could have completed that pass across the field, you know, 30 yards downfield to a guy as open as that. But you still got to get yourself the room. And Justin got out of the pocket, used his speed, which is a weapon, to buy some time and some, some peace of mind. Really, that speed gets you peace of mind. 
mind when you get on the run like that and now you've cleared some extra space for yourself and you can make a good throw that's on target and it doesn't sail or it doesn't bounce and all of a sudden you've got a guy on the run. Let's also not miss the block by Equinemius St. Brown oh, yeah. that cleared the way there for the last 15 yards of Pettis scoring that touchdown. I called that a four-point block by Equinemius St. Brown because there's no promise with the way the Bears offense was going to that point that they were going to get in the end zone if Pettis had gotten tackled short of the end zone there. And so that's a big contribution that was obviously brought up by the coaching staff when they were reviewing things on Monday. That's a big deal for a team that's just trying to uh, preach the, the concept of finishing. Okay, there was good, there was bad. We'll look at the good first. On the bright side, what is your on the bright side? Well, my on the bright side is the second touchdown pass to Equinemius St. Brown, and it's just the way that the Bears set that up with a a play call and a play design that really put the 49ers defense in conflict. You're running play action. Your first read on the play is a a, a pass in the flat to fullback carry blazing game. The 49ers kind of sucked up on the play fake to David Montgomery on the run. Then they covered the flat, and then it's up to Justin to just kind of see what is evolving there. St. Brown runs a really sharp corner route, gets separation from the, from the safety on the back end, and there's a really easy throw, but a nice throw from, from Justin Fields there. He also had, had Byron Pringle, which was his fourth and final read, who was coming across right to left and was wide open. If he had, had to get to his fourth progression on that play, that's a walk-in touchdown for Pringle. But the ability in that moment, again, to, 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 to make the throw and make the play and have it be, be because of a, a play design that sets you up to put a defense in conflict, that was a really Really nice moment for the Bears. I'll go on the bright side with the 11 carries. I thought that while he wasn't explosive in the running game, I think he was effective. And I think there's a difference and he wasn't reckless. And what you saw when he chose to run the ball or even on the design runs is they were, I don't want to say calculated, but there was, there was some thought in it and it wasn't just instinctive and reckless and dangerous. What it was, was that it kept, it was an attempt to keep the chains moving. It was an attempt to maybe protect your offensive lineman from taking a sack or holding on to the ball too long. And there will be times he's going to have that internal clock is going to go back and forth and he's going to get more comfortable with that. But I thought in, in running the ball 11 times, you know, it wasn't probably what you want ideally, but these weren't ideal conditions and this wasn't a typical game plan. You have to remember the conditions are always going to be the thing that most defined this game and maybe this outcome. So in that context, protecting the football, running 11 times on the bright side, Justin Fields knew what he wanted to do with the football when he kept it in his arms and tucked it and ran. So that to me was a positive. Yeah. So on my review uh, of the, the QB one's performance, four of those were, were tuck and runs. Okay. He had four tuck and runs for 28 yards. And that was a, a, a example of the pocket poise that they're trying to teach into him of knowing when it's the right time to tuck and use your feet as a weapon. I didn't see him vacating in pocket at times where he should have stayed in there, right? Each of those four tuck and runs were moments where, okay, it's time to go. You got to get out of there and now you got to make make something happen with your eyes first and make sure there's nothing downfield and then take off. Uh, of the 11 runs, three of them are, are victory formation at the end, right? And so you always like to have those, those extra negative yard carries on your stat sheet if it means you're going into the locker room with a win. And so, yeah, good, good first effort in week one with the quarterback on the move. All right, how about the uh-oh, the other side of the equation? Oh, Nelly in the first quarter, right? I think everybody in the in the the, the stands at Soldier Field went, whoa, when Justin threw that interception uh, to the safety on a pass to Darnell Mooney over the middle. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name because I'll get it wrong. Maybe you can help us with that. The first name, and then uh, it's uh, Hufanga. Talanoa. Hufanga. Talanoa Hufanga. Sorry, I got it. I I tried it anyway. But but obviously – How about mini Ronnie Lott? (laughs) Right? Justin was quick to own up to that mistake after that game. And and 
saying, listen, you're playing a vision and break defense that the 49ers play, and you're trying to steer the linebacker there to your, your hook route to the right. And he did a good job of moving Fred Warner enough to create a throwing lane to Darnell Mooney over the middle, but he didn't do enough to steer or move Hufanga. And so the pass goes right into his hands. It's a, it's an easy interception by a safety that's just using uh, an instinctive break on the ball. Justin acknowledges, David, also that, that, that he had Cole Komet short of the sticks, right? It's third, right. it's third and long there. And as a quarterback who's, who's making growth in year two, you have to understand when to take the risks and when to just live for another day. And he acknowledged immediately after the game, I got to just get that to Cole. If it's short of the first down, so be it. But maybe Cole also breaks a tackle, gets the first down, and we get new life. And so that's uh, at least quick acknowledgement after the fact of, of what the mistake was and what the correction needs to be going forward. But certainly the pick itself is an uh-oh moment. My uh-oh moments were also in the first half, kind of related, but maybe explained a little differently. I feel like that you you are encouraged by what you saw, by the defining moment, and by the escapability in the second half overall. But in the first half, Justin Fields did not look like a, a quarterback that was comfortable in the pocket passing. I know a lot of things contributed, but everything in time, on time was off, and he wasn't in sync. And there's going to have to be more moments than not where – He's in time on time where these these going to have to be able to throw the ball uh, to the, you know, throw those deep out routes to to thread the needle across the middle to make sure that you know, you throw a guy open. If you will, you can't have these backyard uh, plays that are breakdown and you have a sidearm throw to David Montgomery and your a little free throw toss to your tight end of the sidelines. that was ruled out of bounds. Those were kind of, all right, where, where are we going to see evidence of, of the growth in the first half? And we just didn't see it. And I think a lot of that was because of the rain and the elements and it was difficult to get into any rhythm, but the, you were saying, uh Oh, a lot. If you're a bears fan <laughs> looking for progress in the passing game from Justin Fields specifically in the first half. So those were enough uh Oh moments for, for everybody for at least another week. There were seven minutes and 34 seconds left in the third quarter when the bears completed their first pass beyond the line of scrimmage Sunday, right? <laughs> That's not going to get it done in most weeks here. And so uh, to your point, yeah, they've got to find ways to get things on locked i think the conditions yesterday uh allow a lot of people a free pass for week one and we're going to have to use a bigger sample size over the next three or four games to figure out what this offense is good at what they're bad at and where justin's biggest deficiencies are all right the last category big number what's yours it, it's simple for me it's one to know it's one to know it's it, it's a chance for a quarterback who had a 2.8 rating in the first half to live to see another day and, and go into week two with a victory it's always easier to make the corrections and do the cleanup work when you're one to know and that's a big start for this team to just get that little exhale with all the work they've put in to this point to uh to, to move into rivalry week with with the upper hand on the packers who are zero and one below them in the division mine is related to that but it's 2.8 it's 2.8 okay. because that was a passer rating in the first half. And the things that we talked about Justin Fields heading into this season after your one-on-one -on -one interview, the types of things that he exudes publicly, the personality that can be confused as maybe being a little bit aloof, and the, the situation that where, where he's uh, being challenged as a leader, I, I think that you saw some of those things come to the forefront and you saw – him be able to compartmentalize what happened in the first half and put that behind him and be the quarterback they needed him to be in the second half. So 2.8 is the number that stood out, was glaring on the stat sheet. And you know what? He looked at it, he shrugged, and he went out in the second half, and he was the quarterback the Bears needed him to be. 
No question about it. And, and on they go now, right? And, and, and an opportunity to get to 2-0, which would certainly be a big number next week. <laughs> All right, so let's go to flip the score. All right. Week, Dan, go ahead and explain what you want to accomplish here because it's an interesting flip the score. Yeah, this will be a, a segment we do in our game recaps every week, and it's it's from a lesson I learned early in my career on the the beat in Minnesota, uh, 2011, covering the Vikings, and I had someone in the upstairs reaches of that building come to me after uh, a piece I wrote that may have been a little bit too glowing about one of their victories. It may have been, I don't remember specifically, but my guess, I make an educated guess to say that Christian Ponder probably had an okay game and a win. And it was like, okay, there's the arrival of Christian Ponder. Right. And, and, and essentially the lesson was in the NFL, right. And we saw this Sunday across the league that so many of these games come down to one or two plays and that the exact same game could be played and you could flip the score and get the opposite result and still be evaluating the same game, but viewing it from a different lens. And so it was basically a twist on the old, never get too high, never get too low, uh, <laughs> you know, mantra that, that coaches have in this league that, that if you go ahead and you change the way you're viewing a performance by flipping the score, which then flips the result, all of a sudden you're emphasizing different things, right? So after a win, you want to show your team the errors that that ultimately could have cost them the game, right? That, that, that were game-losing plays. After a loss, you want to show them moments that were game-winning plays, that had they won, would have been game-winning plays. So let's pretend, for the sake of this discussion, that the San Francisco 49ers walked out of Soldier Field with this, pretty much the same game being played yesterday, but they were the ones with 19, the Bears were the ones with 10, what would we be talking about? What would we be emphasizing more in our discussion about the Chicago Bears if they were 0-1 instead of 1-0? That's a good way to start. That's a good way to look at it, too. And that's the only way they're going to get better is if they insist on looking at it that way. So let's start with you. What would you be looking at if the, we did flip the score? Yeah. So I, look, I circled a few things in my notebook, both during the game and then on the rewatch, that are are points, right? They're, they're points plays, right? And so when you we talked how, how good the Bears were at avoiding penalties on Sunday afternoon, but a couple of those penalties cost them points. The first one is a offsides infraction on Justin Jones with the 49ers down in close, and it ultimately takes them off, you know, offers a first down when it's third and three for the 49ers, and they eventually get in the end zone on the Debo Samuel touchdown run. That jump by Justin Jones could cost you four points in that situation later in the first half. We all know about the towel play, right? The the infamous towel play. Now, listen, nobody knew that rule. And so Matt Eberflus, special teams coordinator, Richard Hightower, holder Trent Gill, kicker Cairo Santos, they're all to blame for not knowing that you couldn't go take a, a, a towel and and squeegee off the field in that, in that way. But that cost them three points. It cost them an opportunity at three points, right? They didn't get an opportunity in a half where they were struggling to move the ball to even try a 47-yard field goal. That's a problem. And then Cairo Santos misses two PAT kicks, weather conditions or not weather conditions. That's that's two points that come off the board. Certainly the first one, unable to extend to 14 to 10 and keeping it at, at 13 to 10 is, is a play that changes the game. Those are all things that we'd be talking about if the end result had been different. I was looking at it from the standpoint of if you do flip the score and let's say the Bears lost 19 to 10. Either way, when you watch the tape again, as it did today a second time, they didn't stop the run. They didn't stop the run effectively enough for a team that has designs on being a defensive 
you know, first football team. And if Matt Eberflus, you, there are going to be certain things about the, the cover two scheme and the 43 and all those things. You, you bend, you don't break, you wait for the other team to make a mistake and you rely on takeaways to, to pounce and capitalize. But that's painful to watch happen in real time. And I think when you saw the 49ers, I think it was 176 yards rushing. That's a lot. You get average four and a half yards or 4.8 yards per carry. That's too much. So if you're being critical of what the Bears did, yeah, 10 points, great defensive effort. Robert Quinn was right, but you gave up 176 rushing yards, and that's not acceptable in the NFL. You're going to get beaten more often than not if you continue to do that. So I think that's one of those things where you look at and say, okay, fine. And along those lines, as much as we want to compliment what the Bears did in the secondary, and I think that I'm encouraged by Jaquan Brisker, Certainly, uh, Kyler Gordon, he had a couple missteps, but Eddie Jackson coming through with a big takeaway and Jalen Johnson doing the peanut punch. Congratulations, guys. Now, wrap up. Now, make every tackle. Now, don't let running backs run through your grasp and and don't make arm tackles. Keep your head up, grab some cloth, and be technically sound. I loved it when Matt Eberflus said on Monday that they need to tackle better. And this is what they're going to look forward to doing and practicing Wednesday during individual drills because they need to tackle better. And I think defensively overall, that would be where I would be most critical because I do not want to give the offense a pass. Let's face it. That's the biggest project this season. Score touchdown, guys. Get better, Justin Fields. Let's figure out how to you know scheme our way into the end zone. But the rain, the conditions – almost makes me want to under put everything offensively into context so defensively the 49ers being in that same boat challenged by the weather they should have struggled more than they did Trey Lance they did make him play quarterback and he couldn't do it as Jalen Johnson said but I wanted it to be more of a struggle defensively they could have made it more of a struggle stop the run tackle better be more fundamentally sound be that defense that you want to establish your identity as a football team. Well, and Matt Eberflus stressed the need to tackle better on Monday. And, and I think he was struck by that in his game review, that they need to just get there and, and, and finish plays a little bit harder in that regard. I'll give you some other numbers to go with that uh, rushing yardage number that you gave. The Bears were outgained 331 to 204 Sunday. Most weeks, that's not going to get you a W. They were <laughs> they were 5 for 14 on third downs. That's not going to get it done. 3.6 yards per play, even with the 51-yard broken play touchdown to Dante Pettis. Those numbers aren't going to get it done either. The other part of this discussion when we flip the score, sometimes you cannot celebrate the end result of a play if your contributions to that play were uh, basically skewed because the other team screwed up. And so when Trey Lance misses a 32-yard touchdown pass to a wide-open Tyler Croft who gets open because Roquan Smith loses him in coverage, all of a sudden when you go back in the film room, you got to say, Roquan, that almost cost us a touchdown there. You've got to be on that guy just because the quarterback sailed the pass like we've seen Bears quarterbacks do forever doesn't mean we we won that play. We lost that play. They just screwed it up. Similar notion, the Tayshawn Gibson missed, missed interception, right? That's an interception that Justin Fields threw there. Yeah. The, the veteran safety gave that's him it. a break. I mean, it, yeah. it, that's a pick. And so you have Gift. to coach him in that moment that that position, that possession was a sudden change turnover because you made a terrible throw. And just because that possession ultimately ended in a touchdown doesn't let you off the hook for the bad throw a few plays earlier. I want to add one more thing before we move on to our final segment. I, I think that if you're flipping the script and flipping the score, Cairo Santos had an unacceptable day. Yeah. And I, I just think that 
five points on the board. Who knows if he would have made that field goal without the penalty, but the two extra points, you can't accept those kinds of things from a kicker that you have come to rely upon. Now he has put himself in a position to become almost indispensable and and you take for granted what he has offered the last couple seasons, but he did not deliver on Sunday. And if you're being critical of everything you wanted to see, but didn't Cairo Santos is on that list. No question. And listen, we'll give him three, four games ahead of us now with uh, better weather conditions and see if he can just basically get back into the Cairo Santos groove we're used to seeing and we'll give him a pass. But if this becomes a persistent problem, then we'll say, oh boy, the uh, the sloppy uh, puddles on the Bermuda grass ultimately sent Cairo Santos into a mental funk. So we'll see in the weeks ahead there. All right. Speaking of looking ahead, let's look ahead. Sunday night, national television audience, Lambeau Field, the Bears get to consult with part-time owner Aaron Rodgers and wonder what he thinks about the Arlington Heights project, but he will be busy trying to save and uh, rebuild the Packer offense, which struggled mightily in a season-opening loss to the Vikings. Well, that was unrecognizable for the, from the Packers' perspective. De- Devontae Adams is not yeah. walking through that door. Alan Lazard was injured. They were without both tackles, but you know what, Dan? That is an offense that is in a state of disarray. That is a team that needed the preseason. That is a football uh, operation right now in shambles. The scary thing for the Bears is that a year ago, the Packers went to Jacksonville and lost to the Saints 38-3. to And everyone said, uh-oh, they're in big, big trouble. And they came back the next week, played a division opponent at home, and rolled the Detroit Lions 35-17. to And so Roquan Smith said Monday afternoon he's fully expecting a pissed-off Aaron Rodgers to greet them in Green Bay on Sunday night. And I think he's going to be right about that. Rodgers knows what's at stake. He knows he certainly can't fall to 0-2 with two division losses to start the season. And so he's got to find answers in a very short period. Again, to your point, Devontae Adams looked a lot more comfortable without Aaron Rodgers than Aaron Rodgers looked without Devontae Adams on Sunday. And so the Packers have to find answers. Rodgers had two turnovers, an interception, and a strip sack fumble. And they obviously just couldn't get their offense unlocked at any point in Minnesota. And so they've got to get that figured out. They've got to get healthy, and certainly that will be a storyline, life without Devontae Adams and what Aaron Rodgers will do without him. But, Dan, also, the Bears, as we sit here to today, and it may change and it will, likely, if Vegas has its way, nine-point underdogs. <laughs> That's got to be a factor if you're Matt Eberflus, if you're this football team being disrespected after having one of the more inspiring victories of week one. Nobody seemed to have noticed or cared because the Bears are huge underdogs going into Lambeau despite uh, them coming in off a huge win and the Packers coming in off a huge loss. Well, we've seen the slaughter that Aaron Rodgers has put on this franchise in Lambeau Field on primetime over the years. I've watched too many games there under the lights where at halftime, you know, you're hearing Pitbull don't stop the party a hundred times on the, 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 the sound system to celebrate their touchdowns and their big plays. And, and it just becomes an Aaron Rodgers celebration show up there. And so the Bears have to figure out a way to be competitive early and stay competitive in that game. I will say this, notable on Monday afternoon for Matt Eberflus to downplay the Green Bay Packers as much as he did. Is it significant? I don't know, but it was in stark contrast to to most of the guys that sit in this chair in this building. We know what Lovey Smith said in his introductory press conference. We know how Matt Nagy treated it. We know how Mark Trespin was eager to beat the Packers. John Fox as well. Eberflus came in today and said, this is about us. We're going to put all the focus on us. We're not worried about Aaron Rodgers. We're not worried about the rivalry. We're not worried about the Green Bay Packers. We're focusing on us. We'll see what that turns into, but it's certainly, again, a notable contrast to the guys that have sat in that chair previously. You know why I like that or it didn't bother me? Number one, I didn't feel like he was pandering. Not that the other guys were. 
necessarily. I don't want to go through each guy and, and, and <laughs> dissect that again. But I feel like it was consistent with everything else we've heard from Matt Eberflus, not to make something more than he wants to make out of out of one individual moment or opponent. Yeah. He says that we need to control the controllables. And if you pay attention to everything the Bears have done so far, frankly, since he arrived, they have done their best to control the controllables. And that's all you can do as a football coach. So, yeah, the Packers game means more than the rest because it goes without saying the rivalry is there. He knows it. He respects it. And it will be there, you know, when they win in his mind. So right now, that's just they're on a roll. They've done things well. They were rewarded for the faith they placed into everything. And now, you know what? House Hall, the next meeting, the first meeting today when they reconvened at 11 o'clock on Monday morning, everybody's hearing got a little better because they're paying attention a little bit more and a little closer. It's easier to do when you're 1-0 and you show them evidence of the belief that they invested in the faith that they have in that coaching staff. Also fun for us that this game comes as early as it does, right? A lot of times those trips to Lambeau Field are when the Bears season is slipping away and you're just like, okay, this is just going to be the one of those those really sharp nails in the, in the coffin here. For the Bears to be in the position uh, at 1-0 to take a two-game lead on their division rival after two games of the season is significant. And it just adds a level of intrigue that I think the national audience um, can, can attach itself to and we don't have to, to, to sort of manufacture feelings about this game because of the rivalry and the hundred plus year history of it. It's now just about a, a very intriguing week two matchup against a team that surprised us in a good way on Sunday versus a team that surprised us in a bad way on Sunday. Okay. Before we wrap it up, anything else that we left out in terms of aftermath of the victory news and notes nuggets from a Monday at Hallis Hall, looking ahead to the Packers. Anything that we overlooked? I think we covered a lot of ground. Yeah, I think we did as well. I think this team's just got to make sure that they do exactly what they did when they left Cleveland with those good vibrations and just get right back to work and understand what this is about. This is about being immersed in the process. And every single week, you got to detach yourself from that result and get right back into the process. So let's see if they can do that. He's Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune. I'm David Hoff from the Mully and Haw Show on 670 The Score. Adam Stadzinski is our producer. And thank you for joining us on the Take the North podcast. We will drop on Tuesday morning as usual and Friday morning before each Sunday's game. And then it will be a night game on Sunday. We'll talk about what we're going to do about that. But we appreciate that you downloading our podcast after the Bears' big victory on Sunday night when we had instant reaction for you and analysis. We'll continue to do that throughout the week. And if there is a big story, we will be here for you. We're at Take the North Pod on Twitter. You can find us both on Twitter as well, at David Haw and at Dan Wiederer, W-I-E-D-E-R-E-R. And keep on... Uh, downloading us all season long for the best in Bears coverage because it looks like after one game, it's going to be a fascinating season. So you can find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again on Friday. <laughs>